In a new age world filled with delusions and wish fulfillment by morons in need of attention, renowned experiencers of high strangeness and podcasters Jeffrey Ritzman and Jeremy Vaney received invitations to a tropical paradise getaway called Paratopia. Little did they know, it was the same type of new age spiritual retreat they've been avoiding all their lives. Paratopia, it's Jeremy Vaney, it's Jeff Ritzman. I, I know that, that Jeff and I have sort of grown famous for whining about ufology, but Phil Imbrogno is with us today, and he is one of the good ones. And I figured out, Phil, why I like you so much. And it's because you actually uh, like to teach, which means that you like to learn, which means that your theories have grown over time, and you don't just sort of steadfastly hold to one thing. Yeah, well, you know, you have to grow and take in the information and see where it goes. And I think one of the problems in ufology especially is that uh, people get locked in to uh, to what they believe. And even though the evidence changes, they still want to feel secure and locked in that they're the expert in that particular field. And it has to be what they say. So, you know, in ufology, especially today, there's a lot of egos in conflict with each other. But, you know, I tell people really open out, you know, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what, what this whole damn thing is about. You know, I'm just out there collecting information and, um, um, you know, I begin to realize that this is, uh, you know, very, very complex. Mm-hmm. And you can't be locked into one particular idea especially when it comes to the UFO phenomena. Mm-hmm. And to that end, your new book is called Files from the Edge of Paranormal Investigators' Explorations into High Strangeness. Yeah, but it's not a UFO book. Okay, it's, it's That's all That's the amazing thing about it. You know, when people usually hear my name, all my previous UFO books, all my previous books except for one, Celtic Mysteries, you know, they were all about UFOs. I mean, I started out, you know, in, in a book with J. Allen Hynek, Night Siege, the Hudson Valley UFO sightings. And I guess, you know, uh, my name being attached to J. Allen Hynek with that book, uh, people say, you know, um, I mean, the ghost hunters and all the paranormal investigators are going now. They're saying, you know, what business does Phil have to be about paranormal investigation? He investigates UFOs. And the thing is, is that UFOs are paranormal. And Files from the Edge um, is a, a, a collection of paranormal investigations that I've done, that I've been part of over the years. And I just filed them away in my um, binders. And I, I have like 50 binders filled with paranormal information. 
the, the thing is, is that when you investigate UFOs, all of this other strange stuff keeps on coming forward, and you really don't know what to do with them uh, for years, especially back in the 70s when I started collecting all this information. And the thing is, is that, you know, you realize that a lot of this paranormal stuff is all centered around the UFO phenomena, and in a way, it's um, all related. So... When you say all related, is it directly re- related in that those binders of files that you're talking about, are they from UFO cases having to do with other seemingly other paranormal topics? Yeah, most of them are from UFO cases and some piece, some people who, you know, Heineck used to call the cases high strangeness. And they're high strangeness because UFO investigators never really knew what to deal with, how to deal with them. And the majority of them still don't know how to deal with them today. And they usually just get filed away or ignored. But they came about and were collected as a result of um, UFO cases. They came in on the side and um, the, they were an offshoot of, U, of, a, of a major UFO sighting. Because when UFOs appear in an area, all of a sudden, all this other strange phenomena starts breaking out all over the place. You have, you know, some people start claiming abductions, seeing apparitions. People start having electromagnetic phenomena in their house. People start seeing strange creatures, you know, monsters almost, uh, shadow people, and so on and so on and so on. So... When you have a large number of UFO sightings in an area, shortly after all of this stuff breaks out, and most of the part, most UFO investigators ignore them because they're still locked in the idea of contacting ET. Well, how did that start in the first place? I mean, if this was always the case all along that that these things were broader and stranger and richer, how did they get whittled down to the ET narrative? You know, that's a good story. I think it stems back to the 50s, where um, the, uh, the Project Blue Book, Project Grudge, Project Sign, um, early in the UFO game, game, the government was actually looking for a sign that these things were from outer space. And they sent out, you know, people to collect reports. And they collected them in a very um, cold not even scientific fashion, but um, very. Uh, and I, that that method of investigation was carried to the civilians, and they copied that in the early APRO investigators back in the fifties and NICAP investigators. And the whole concept was, you know, extraterrestrial. It was played upon that these things were without, a, you know, extraterrestrial movies. Um, came out in the 50s, especially, that focused on the interest that the public had in UFO sightings. And all of these movies, their theme was that these unidentified flying objects, flying saucers, were extraterrestrial. So it was just carried from, you know, from that presentation by the media to people investigating UFOs today. And, um... Well, the people who are investigating UFOs in the interim, I mean, would you, I guess I'm just asking, I'm not trying to make an accusation when I say, would you say that if the public interest and the government interest in UFOs was because they suspected, you know, if it ain't us, it's aliens, um, that then researchers 
on their own tailored the narrative to play to that because that's what they could sell to the public? I mean, is that what you're saying? Well, this is what interests them, to get into UFO research, the mystery and the possibility that UFOs are aliens from another star system. So, I mean, you know, they carry that into their investigations, and their um, <clears throat> objectivity is, is in question now because you had UFO researchers in the 50s and 60s going, even today, when they go on a case, you know, there's no objectivity there in many of these researchers that they go out there with the assumption that the person saw an alien spaceship. Mm-hmm. And if it, if, it, if, it, if it can't be explained, it must be an alien spaceship. And, uh, you know, even Alan Hynek in his later life you know, started saying he'd be very disappointed if these things turned out to be nothing more than somebody's spaceship from another star system. He believed that the answer was more exotic than that. Hmm. When you see these uh, government documents, uh, the one from the Freedom of Information Act, either gathered from that or perhaps even just the fake ones that people put out there, and it's all about this ET stuff, do you think that the real documents, the real ones that they're keeping from us, are speaking about ET, or do you think they're speaking about, we don't know what the hell this is? Well, I think that uh, the documents that you know we're not seeing is actually... Um, um, the their real opinion as to what's going on, and you're talking about fake documents. I mean, there's quite a few of them on the internet, and I remember reading one, um, and I can't remember. I'm not going to name any names or so on and so on. But you know, the government. It was from you know a person who who was um, some big shot in the government, and and. He um, had a background from Harvard and everything like that, and he was talking about UFOs being there. You know, and it was like he was a government official putting a memo through. There were so many grammatical errors and so many type, so many misspellings in that letter. I mean, come on, some person just typed it up. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, many of those documents on the Internet, I mean, you just can't even accept them as being fact. Let me tell you something, you know, Despite the size of the United States government, it's it's very departmentalized, and it's you know the right hand doesn't know what the left hand's doing. The third finger on the right hand doesn't know what the fourth finger on the right hand is doing, mm-hmm. and so on and so on. So you know you have very very small groups that are specialized in researching certain things that they want nobody else to know because the government is big enough so that if if too many people know eventually it's going to leak out into the population or you know other other governments and so on and so on so when you're dealing with something as radical and as secret as the ufo phenomena and paranormal phenomena there are very small sections of the government that are are dealing with this, and they're probably, you know, paramilitary, military sections of the government that are primarily doing this. And and they really don't even have to answer to anyone. Mm-hmm. Well, you co-wrote a book called uh, Contact of the Fifth Kind, which is about uh, the possibility that the government has traded uh, technology for for aliens to be able to abduct humans. Do you stand by that? Not really. I just offer it as one of the stories that's out there. 
And, um, you know, when we talk about an alien intelligence, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're E.T. and spaceships from Zeta Reticuli, although that may be the case for some of the UFO sightings. But we also could be dealing with another intelligence that's um, in the same sort of space as us, but in another dimensional sort of existence, another parallel reality. And, you know, with the new ideas in theoretical physics, this is becoming more and more and more of a possibility that, you know, researchers have to accept. And you just can't say, yeah, another dimension. Most people don't even know what another dimension means. I mean, if you, if, if you look at the, 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 the theories that are out there now being proposed by um, theoretical physicists that are, you know, are, are, are incredibly well-respected in the field, and you start applying that to the ammunition or the, the, uh, the sightings of and reports of paranormal phenomena, you can see, wow, you know, a lot of that makes sense. Because now, you know, they're even considering that some of these dimensions, it's not out of the question that they could be inhabited by some type of uh, living being, intelligent or otherwise. Mm -hmm. Do you have a, a bit of um, physics that you know off the top of your head that we can... Uh that we can look into because we, we've, we've actually asked um, an astrophysicist uh, and we didn't like what we heard. <laughs> um, he, he seemed to give us um, sort of, well, here's how, here's how it would work. Um, but then there wasn't really any physics behind it. It was just sort of like saying, well, if you want to know how UFOs work, figure out how remote viewing works. Well, you know, I mean, you know, one of the <laughs> proponents of, of the idea of parallel realities is uh, Max Tegmark up at MIT. And, um, you know, he went through all these equations, and in these equations, just by accident, um, going into string theory, is that all of these equations and predictions of parallel dimensions in our own space and time kept on popping up. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, is you have to remember that in physics, in astrophysics, and so on, astronomy, that most of the discoveries were theoretically made on the blackboard before they were confirmed and discovered in space. So we're seeing the same thing now. These people up at MIT, um, University of California, Caltech, and so on, they are predicting in these equations the existence of parallel universes. And now, with these super colliders that are available, they're actually starting to see the result of the collision of particles and proving that there are other dimensions. For example, when you have uh, particles collide, um, haldrons, particles, you know, protons, they break up into a number of particles. Now, the thing is, is that some of these particles are exceeding such a great velocity and their um, vectors are so radical that unlike some of the other particles which are heavier, which are going across the screen of the detection plate, some of these particles are just disappearing. 
And the only explanation for that is they're going into spatial dimensions in which we cannot perceive Mm -hmm. being three-dimensional beings. So, you know, the idea is pretty sound, the idea that there are 11 dimensions out there. We're the room you're sitting in, the room I'm sitting here. We look in the space around us, but there's other spaces there, other areas, physical spaces, in which we cannot turn to get into because it tells us by the equations it's located at a right angle to a right angle, just in the next dimension, not to mention all 11 dimensions that are predicted to exist. Now, this was first brought out in string theory, that you can have all these dimensions existing. However, right now the theory has been modified, and it's called the M theory. And that all of these strings are attached to a fabric of space, which is like a membrane. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's... And the, the proof of these other dimensions also exist in gravity. Okay. Gravity is one of the four forces. It's the weakest force. Theoretically, gravity should be the strongest force when you consider the mass of the sun, the mass of Earth, the planets, Jupiter, and so on, the galaxy, and so on, black holes, and whatever. But it seems that the graviton, which is a theoretical particle of gravity that carries the force of gravity, as it's leaving the sun, these gravitons reaching the Earth, the number of gravitons reduces considerably. And they're thinking now that this is because gravity is actually filtering through multi-dimensions before it reaches the Earth. And that's why the effects of gravity are weaker, much weaker than they should be. So this is all pretty exciting stuff because you have to remember that ancient people of long ago, especially the Hindu religion, they talked about parallel realities, universes that have their own laws, their own gods, their own worlds, their own types of people, and so on. They've been saying that for 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 years. And now it seems that modern science is starting to catch up with that idea and, uh, and 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 I think that we have to look at the idea of string theory, the M theory, parallel universes and so on, par- uh, alternate dimensions as a very strong possibility for the origin of what we're calling today the supernatural or paranormal phenomena. Mm-hmm. Do you, uh, you must speak with some physicists in your uh, day-to-day doings, yeah? Do I? Yeah. Oh, yeah, you know, I go, I go back and forth up to MIT. So, do, th- do they uh, agree generally, or know that this has anything to do, or any sort of answer for paranormal supernatural activity? Well, some of them are very intrigued by it, but professionally they won't put themselves on the line. You know, some of them will say, you know, yeah, it's very possible that in these other dimensions are, we don't know what's there. 
I mean, there's a space there. There's something there we don't know. At first, we thought that these other dimensions that exist around us are like folded over in the size of an atom or the size, you know, of your fist or so on and so on. But, you know, it's beginning to look like these other dimensions are large spaces. Um, uh, but then on the other hand, you know, you say, you know, they know, for example, up there that I'm involved with UFOs and paranormal phenomena. And during one of my defending my thesis up there, I was told to come back when and when uh, when I wanted to do real science. <laughs> so you know, <laughs> but you know, it took me it took me a lot longer. I mean, to get you know to get the graduate degree there, but it's going to happen sooner or later. But uh, probably happen this this fall. But there is a resistance, yes. But there is a core of young physicists up there, and some of the more established ones that are very cautious about what they say when it deals with paranormal phenomena and UFOs, because they realize that there's something there, but there's also a lot of bullshit. Mm -hmm. And a lot of wild-eyed thinking and people thinking that they have encounters when they don't. You have to remember that, you know, some people, they... They want to believe that they had encounters with the aliens. They want to believe that they had some type of supernatural experience. Many people want to believe that they've been specially chosen for this experience, you know, for this experience that they've had. But all in all, you know, many of these people want to believe too much. And, you know, Alan Hynek said something to me one time. He says, remember, you know, when you're out interviewing these people, you know, you always have to think, is the witness actually telling you what they actually experienced? You know, word for word. Mm -hmm. um, because people who have experiences like this, and they're pretty sure that they saw something strange, they don't want to be made a fool of and saying, oh, you saw the planet Venus or something like that. Um, you don't have a poltergeist in your house. It's just the pipes in your house rattling. So as you're interviewing them, in some cases, they do embellish their experience. Hmm. So, you know, a really good researcher has to be able to, you know, pull out this information. And this doesn't mean that the people are lying or they're fabricating a hoax. It just means that, you know, human recollection of an event like that is sometimes flawed. Mm -hmm. And they tend to add things that necessarily didn't have happened, but not to that extreme. For example, in the early days of UFO research, when people saw, you know, um, elliptical shaped lights in the sky and so on and so on, and you asked them to draw what they saw, being influenced by the media that these things are spaceships from another world, when they start making their drawings, they start adding things that they sh think should be there, that they're sh they think they remember, like, you know, windows and, and antenna maybe sometime even, and some type of um, landing gear or something. But, you know, information, it doesn't, well, other people, independent witnesses who saw this didn't see it. Mm-hmm. And does so, that does that work the other way too? Where um, if if an experience of theirs is too highly strange, they'll they'll tone it down. Uh, 
they might ev- um, at the beginning because they don't want to look like some type of nut. But then again, we're talking about a credible person who had a credible experience. A person, you see, if a person never had an interest in all of the paranormal, whether it's UFOs or whatever it is, if they never had an interest and they have an experience, the first part is that they will try to forget it. The second part is they will try to find answers and then finally try to seek somebody out. When they talk to a person for the first time, they're very conservative about what they say until they feel the person out. And you may have to do several interviews before you get all the information out from a witness like this. And they have no idea what they saw. They can tell you exactly the experience that they had, and eventually they will, when they get trust in you, when they're more trusted in you and they get to know you better, they will start relating things that they did not tell you during the first interview. Now, there's another type of witness that totally believes in all this and goes out at night and looking for stuff, goes into, you know, goes to channelers and whatever, and they will embellish their experience because now they're all part of, you know, this great thing that's unfolding that they feel, and uh, they have a, an opinion as to what they experienced, mm-hmm. even though they really have no idea. Also, um, the way a witness um, tries to, a witness who has a paranormal experience more or less tries to deal with it. They will draw upon their education, their cultural upbringing, their spirituality, even their religion to try to make sense as to what they experienced. So reports sometimes are influenced by these four factors. How a person reports a paranormal or UFO experience does depend upon their education, does depend upon their culture, does depend upon their spirituality, their religious beliefs, and so on and so on. All of these factors, their upbringing, all of these factors determine how a person reports an experience. Mm-hmm. I just want to go back to one thing here, which is uh, your colleagues at MIT. Could you, you know all the, the paranormal hotspots in New York. Could you not invite them out? Yeah, but they wouldn't go. Not even if you made a bet. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing. There's nothing you could do to get them to like come out and and you know, just say I see have, for yourself. I have, there are some people who are interested in um, you know going out and doing things, but you know, it, it's like um, you know you can lead a horse to water, but you can't force him to drink. I mean, you know, there are also you know many people who are saying you know that are in the scientific world that this is all a bunch of nonsense. Mm-hmm. So. You know, when you're in a professional position, um, and you, they take it slow. Science is always slow with change, okay? And if anybody comes forward with a radical idea, usually they are um, attacked. And the thing is, is that I had discussions with um, a number of people from, you know, various scientific departments, and, and you know, they would say to me, Oh, yeah, you know, there's no truth in that and so on. It's just a bunch of... I said, wait a minute now. Have you ever researched um, that particular UFO sighting? For example, give it either the Hudson Valley UFO. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was just airplanes in formation. 
Where did you get that information, I would say? Oh, you know, I read it in the paper. Did you investigate the Hudson Valley UFO sightings? I would say to them, they said, no. Did you talk to the witnesses, people with who, you know, excellent credentials, experiences and about their experiences and they're, you know, very well-educated people who saw something truly incredible. No, I didn't talk to anybody about it. I said, well, it doesn't sound very scientific to me that you would come to an opinion without even looking into this. But don't you and, think that there's um, something to be said for expecting whatever paper they read to be telling them the truth? Well, that's what we human be. That's what you know. People in America think if they see it on TV or if they read it in the paper, it's the truth. And uh, I think that stems back to you know World War II days. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is that you know to say something doesn't exist if you haven't determined if it does or does not exist for yourself. You know, to me, that's not very scientific. Mm-hmm. And um, and. And, for example, the stone chambers, the balanced rock, an archaeologist in Connecticut. Oh, you know, the balanced rock, that's a glacial erratic. It was propped up there by the glaciers 18,000 years ago. I said, how do you know that? He said, well, you know, you know, I've seen... I said, have you ever been out to that balanced stone and really studied the way those pedestal stones are placed in the ground? And the way that stone is placed on top of those six pedestal stones? No, I've never been out there to see it. Well, how can you make that assumption, I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, that. I mean, I've been out there, and I, that's absolutely placed on there. I don't well, see how that could just happen. This is the, the mentality still that you get in science. There's a large number of the old guard still in control. And uh, they determine, like the priests of Babylon a long time ago, what is the truth and what is not the truth, what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. If you don't follow the scientific method, it you can't. It's ridiculous. You didn't do anything. Well, paranormal phenomena has nothing to do with the scientific method. I'm sorry. Scientific method was based on experimentation and observation of physical interactions in the world. In the paranormal phenomena, if we're dealing with other dimensions, this is not part of our physical world. So therefore, the scientific method breaks down. It does not apply. And we have to modify it to study the new ideas of the multiverse. So what do you do then to to study and to make sense of all of this stuff? How do you determine, for instance, even a real case from a a bogus case? um, How do you parse out all of the various bits of information? You know, as time goes on, it's getting harder and harder. And one of the reasons is that um, people in our society are troubled, they're worried about the future, um, there's just so many people with, you know, so many radical ideas that many people are trying to escape. And um, they will, you know, embellish on experiences that they have because it does take them out of their sometimes troubled existence or mundane existence. Um, what was What I'm seeing now today are very few people who are fabricating cases but there are people who have had experiences that aren't that amazing at all. 
They may have something, they may have an experience that's totally explainable, but yet they don't want to be told that it's explainable. They want to be told that they had a unique paranormal experience. So, you know, you go out there and you collect information and uh, you hope that, you know, you catch something or, or observe whatever they're observing, but um, it, it's a lengthy process. And it, it usually if someone's fabricating something, each time you go and visit them, the story becomes more fantastic because after a while they see that they're starting to lose your interest. And so they think they have to, you know, add something more incredible. And they, uh, the story keeps on getting more fantastic every time, you know, and, uh, um, so it's still very hard, especially with photographs and things like that today. It's so easy to fake them. Um, I, I have never seen so many videos of UFOs and photographs of UFOs and other paranormal phenomena pop up so much on the Internet. And, you know, I, I'm looking at this stuff and I'm saying, you know, you got to be kidding me. I mean, you know, it's just like Hollywood special effects. Mm-hmm. Uh, Phil, I, I gotta ask, and I'll probably put these to you one at a time to get your to get your take. I just want to tell you some of the stuff that I've noticed over the years, because um, I believe, like you do, that this is the UFO thing is a is a paranormal phenomena. I I don't see it as nuts and bolts uh, all the time, uh, but one of the things that I've seen about it. And the way it seems to behave is that it always seems to have what I call an escape hatch that always lends it a certain amount of, of ridiculousness or a certain amount of like self-denial in the way that it might present itself. And I'm curious if, if – I mean just as an example, you, you have someone come to you who says that they saw – what a craft that you know for all intent and purposes was a hoaxed craft uh, taken a picture of you know in the seventies or something like that, but they swear up and down this is what I saw. There seems to be this built-in deniability that it gives itself, and I'm curious if you've come across that in any case that you've worked on. Uh, yeah, I, I have, and um, this is where, for example. Um, People try to add on, add information to what they saw, what they think they saw. So they will look at pictures and say, oh yeah, look just like that. And if you question them further and say, well, did you see this or did you just see a glowing object? Oh, it's just glowing. Well, why are you saying pointing to this picture when this picture is obviously metallic looking? And, you know, they'll say, well, it was shaped that way, but um, did you actually see any reflection or metal? No, I didn't. But this is what it looked like, the shape. I mean, you get things like that all the time. I mean, right. they will hold pictures and from the Internet now of UFOs because of what they saw. So uh, most of the time, you know, people are, like, programmed to think that UFO automatically means a spaceship from another world, so they try to feel comfortable with what they saw to identify it as such. More people would like to say, yes, it was a spaceship, rather than say it was an unknown. Right. And 
But there are many people who will say, you know, I don't know what the hell I saw. Just, I've never seen anything like that before. How about something in terms of, I think what Valet has said, I think what a lot of people have said, that to describe the experience of a sighting or of contact with others in a complete, 100% open, honest way would be to essentially render the entire experience absurd because so much of it is so far beyond a UFO sighting per se or a ghost uh, sighting or something like that, that uh, to really convey this open and honestly with 100% accuracy would be to be thought a fool. I mean, is that not the same type of escape hatch that this thing seems to present to us over and over and over? Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, Why do you think that is? I mean, I, I, I know that's an impossible question, but just in your guesstimation, I mean, if we're talking about something that's potentially interdimensional um, or ultra-dimensional or whatever you want to say, I, I have to wonder if it's not just that, but that it also plays on... Uh, I've, I've always thought that we've had much more to do with this phenomena than, than we dared think of, that, uh, that we may have some kind of influence on how it manifests to us or how we perceive it uh, or that we can't perceive it and therefore our mind is filling in the blanks, that type of thing. But there always seems to be that, that escape hatch in this whole thing that we'll never be able to quite be able to lay our hands on it. Yeah, this is what I've been saying for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, in, in my last book, Interdimensional Universe, I have a chapter called The Trick of the Magician. And um, um, we can't possibly perceive and understand what is being manifested. And whatever is manifesting, unless it shows us exactly how the trick is done, we're like children in the audience watching a magician. <laughs> we just try to interpret and understand what we're seeing but we still don't understand what's happening, but we try to make sense of it. Um, so when you get people coming forward with experiences, like I said before, the way they relate the experience depends a lot of, uh, upon you know a, a number of factors, including their religious beliefs, education, and so on. And yes, this other whatever it is, let's say in this dimension that's very close to us, um, can also, it seems, manifest. Um, we seem to have a part in it, and it takes on different forms or different shapes and manifests in a different way as we expect to perceive it. Okay. So, you know, this is, um, you know, this is all going into this area now where ufology is moving into more of a hardcore paranormal science rather than being separate for years as ufologists looking for spaceships from another world. Right. Um, you know, so what the answer is, you know, I can theorize and, and say, yes, you know, we can apply the new physics to this, we can apply string theory to this, but what the manifestations represent, uh, I don't think anybody really can say that they know for sure. No. Because the magician behind this has not shown us the trick. So we're left with trying to interpret it ourselves, and we end up, you know, misidentifying it for so many years now. Well, what would you say the effect is of of 
what we've seen so far, and would you say that it has evolved with us over time or perhaps evolved us over time? Yeah, I think it, it, it more or less manifested it according to uh, how we want to perceive it, um, um, you know, which would be indicating intelligence. And, um, you know, I mean, if you look into some of the very ancient legends, they talk about these parallel dimensions with other beings living in them. I mean, uh, is it so hard to believe that if these other spatial areas exist around us, that someone is not in there, some type of entity, some type of being that has existed probably before human beings have walked on this planet? I mean, it's just not too hard to, to accept now, now that, you know, physicists are telling us that, you know, these, these areas do exist. And um, people continue to report paranormal phenomena, especially UFOs, strange creatures. I mean, I, I, I was just in, in looking into researching a number of houses up in Putnam County that have been experiencing manifestations of all different types of phenomena. And this is on the rise, on the increase. And most of this stuff seems like it's um, emitting from another dimension that's there. It's not in the same physical space. So, you know, when that happens, you have no control over what's going on. This, these manifestations appear out of nowhere, and these people don't even feel secure in their homes anymore. Phil, do you look at do you look at the when you're studying a case per se? Do you look at the at the individual like what is going on in their life at at that point in time? What kind of changes has their life gone through? What kind of in between state are they in? Do you ever go that deep with a with a witness? Oh yeah. Um... I mean, we've had George Hansen on the show. Yeah, we've had George Hansen on the show. That's the reason I ask is that, you know, he mentions that a lot of paranormal activity surrounds uh, times of, of change or uh, uh, th- things being done out of routine, uh, a lot of chaos in someone's life, a lot of stress in someone's life, something like that will, in turn, they are ripe for sort of a paranormal experience of some kind. Uh, yes. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. That has happened in the past. There have been cases where there has been especially a lot of rock throwing and things like that, paranormal experience manifestations and so on, that have evolved on um, troubled times, especially in very young people. But also, on the other hand, people who have moved into, let's say, a new home, the paranormal experiences now start to generate anxiety and anger between a couple. So there seems to be some type of energy that's feeding into these people's emotions, making them um, fearful, anger, and start fighting with each other. There are several cases over the last several years where people have moved into, let's say, a haunted house, a very happily married couple that in a short period of time after moving in within two years, actually started fighting with each other and actually got divorced. Yeah. And, and this was centered on the manifestation of the paranormal phenomena. Yeah, and, and see, something like that, George Hansen, I can hear him right now in the back of my head saying uh, that that's absolutely what should be happening uh, in a case like that because these people are living in a 
in an atmosphere of anti-structure that they're, you know, anti-structure and the paranormal seem to go hand in hand. And therefore that kind of thing is certainly not good for a relationship. Uh, this is why, uh, I mean, I think I actually wrote him a, an email one time about, uh, uh, so many people in ufology that I've met at one point are married, and the next time you see them a year later, they're divorced, they're miserable, they're out of work. <laughs> I mean, it, it, oh, let me tell it, you, it, I, it, yeah, I mean, the you can speak to this. Is high, yeah, and yeah. I mean, uh, I've had people working with me that ended up in disaster. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, do you have any any? I mean, again. I know why is not a productive question to ask, but is it just does that just go with the territory that you know if you're if you're having a paranormal experience or, or you're having many that you're going to wind up in, in such a situation that it's debilitating to one's life? Well, it depends upon. Are we talking about from the investigator or from the experiencer? Well, I, I, I would say let's look at investigators first. Okay. Well, you see, many investigators get into this because it's fascinating, okay? And, but to them, it's not a reality. You see, they, they separate themselves a part of it. They are not the witness. They are the investigator. And they more or less, you know, do it as a hobby because they've read a lot of the books about it and they want to get out there. It's fascinating. But when they have an experience themselves and it attaches themselves to that person, they realize that this stuff is very real. And once it becomes real in your mind that there are forces out there that you have no control over, these people become very fearful and it starts manifesting in anxiety. It affects their job. It affects their personal relationship, family, and so on. So... I have seen that happen so many times with UFO researchers, especially those who have worked with me, because I'm about, really out there in the of, field. What, what about a loss of critical judgment as, as as an investigator is in the field working for years and years? Do you or have you seen people completely lose their critical judgment that used to be very good, uh, competent researchers with critical minds? I've seen it, yeah. I mean, I've seen it, and I think there's a number of explanations for it. Um, part of it is because they become so involved after having an experience. And um, the second part is, uh, you know, I'm not going to point my finger at anybody or say anything, that they, they, they get into this and they realize that they could get attention from it. So in order to stay f the center of attention, Right. They have to make their claims more incredible so that, you know, um, they get the attention that they want. You have to remember that the majority of people who are investigating UFOs that, you know, have been in the paper, have been on the History Channel or whatever, if it wasn't for UFOs, the majority of these people would be unknowns. Right. You see? Right. So many of the people that I have come across over the years they have to get, you know, they have to bring out more dramatic stuff. And, yes, and many of them have even gone overboard uh, because they want to get more incredible and more, um, you know, as, as what society is calling for. You know, the idea of 
having a close encounter now is like pretty dull. Put people to sleep. <laughs> Right. You gotta have aliens in there. You gotta have abductions. You gotta have all this other incredible stuff here. Right. So this is why in the UFO field you have these people presenting more and more and more and more incredible, incredible evidence, and the more getting more bizarre and and into this whole thing. Um, why do you think that there are certain places like I could take, for instance, Pine Bush, Gulf Breeze, what was Ted Phillips' place, Marley Woods? Why do you think that Bridgewater Triangle? Yeah, why why does this thing seem to attach itself to physical places at sometimes do you think? Well, I can tell you that before Dr. Heinick, Alan Heinick passed away, we had a conversation and I asked him the very same question and he said, "Look for portals." Mm-hmm. He believed there were places on the planet and quite a few of them where these dimensional portals open and close, allowing phenomena to come into our universe, come into our reality, I should say, and leave our reality. And um, there are a number of places which, in fact, are portals. And this is one of the research I've been doing for a long time now. Um, And not just going out and saying, oh, yes, a portal. People go outside and they vortexes. Most of them don't even know what they're talking about. But the thing is that I'm I'm applying changes in the magnetic field, starting magnetic lines of force, not ley lines, because that's a big contrast, actual magnetic lines of force that are running through the earth, and, and, and finding out information why these areas become active from time to time in uh, cyclic nature um, uh, with these manifestations. And as a matter of fact, I'm, I'm working on a project right now on that. And, um, um, you know, in the next couple of years, I'm going to have quite a bit of data. So there are places like that. There are, I, I believe there, there are portals to these other dimensions and, that open and up and close. And then well, some of them may be the size of atoms from time to time. Some of them may be a few feet in diameter. We can't see them because there seem to be opening from the other dimensional state. So from our point of view, uh, for the most part, we don't see the opening. But, you know, there are times where people have reported a dark sort of thing appearing or a lighted sort of uh, a circular area, swirling area, where uh, something came out of it. In a certain way of thinking with physics because I knew nothing of physics, very little, if anything. These UFOs, ghosts, uh, name the phenomena, any of them seem to be fairly fleeting in a physics sense or in a physics mentality or way of thinking about this. Is the reason possibly that these things are so fleeting is because they cannot exist here for too long? Or do you think that there's a whole other reason uh, to that? Yeah, well, I believe that our um, concept of what we can perceive is very limited Mm -hmm. and that they are around much longer than we think from what our five senses are telling us. Okay. And um, they could move slightly in and out of phase of these dimensional areas and not be perceived by humans. And sometimes when they move closer to these dimensional membranes, they may only appear like shadows to us. Okay. 
And uh, so from a human perception, we're very limited as to viewing this phenomena. But it seems to me that more people are reporting more experiences for a longer duration than I've seen in the last 30 years. Do you think that the reason, uh, I mean, we, we talk nuts and bolts, and, and I, like I said before, I'm not a big nuts and bolts guy when it comes to this. I used to be years ago, but you, you, you sooner than later realize it doesn't fit the profile very well. Uh, and a lot of people want to talk about physical proof. Everybody wants physical proof of one kind or another. Do you believe, based on what we've talked about here, that physical proof is a hardcore impossibility? for this phenomenon to leave behind, being as it can be real, quote-unquote, to us, and then not, not real at the same time? Well, it can be, it seems to have the ability to be physical and not physical. Right. So, I mean, look at the, uh, the phenomena of angel here. I mean, associated with UFOs and other paranormal phenomena. I've investigated several cases. I've even seen it myself. And... The stuff seems like it's there, and then you know by the time you know you can really collect it and try to get it to a lab, it's, it just vanishes, and mm -hmm. there's no, not even a residue left. So <laughs> what were you looking at? What were you handling there? Something that had the ability to become physical, and then totally non-physical, vaporize yeah. into seemingly nothing. You know, look at all the years that, you know, UFOs, people have been involved with UFOs. They say, well, there's no physical evidence that you... Well, I mean, yeah, there's no physical evidence if you, if you want to consider the UFOs are spaceships from another world. Exactly. I mean, but if you're dealing with something that's more exotic, that, you know, is, is more like a plasma, and plasmas, by the way, can... Um, with the use of magnetic fields, appear very physical and feel very physical until the magnetic field is altered or dissolved and the plasma is no longer physical. So, you know, we're dealing with a whole new area of study here. And, um, and I think that um, there are a small number of researchers out there that are laying down the foundations for those who are going to follow, to really get a handle on this whole UFO paranormal world. Right. I, I couldn't help but when you were talking to Jeremy about science and how science will fight you tooth and nail on new discoveries or on discoveries that, I don't know, counteract or are opposed to the commonly held theories of the day. That is seems to be precisely what ufology has done for as long as it's been around uh the minute that someone would bring in some kind of alternate theory or say that uh, the eth does not fit a profile that seems logical to what we're looking at or what we're experiencing or examining uh that person is the heretic um i mean we've oh, recently yeah. you know tackled into a subject that's caught us quite a bit of flack because it doesn't hold true to uh, those studying the uh, abduction phenomena. Uh, uh, I mean, that's yeah, I know. I mean, how have you dealt with with that whole personality slash ego slash I want it to be true slash I don't want it be, to be true? I mean, where do you get? It just seems like such a befuddled mess. Um, 
And I mean, I have to be honest, you know, aside from a few people like yourself, I mean, I see ufology as some of the most mush-minded people I've ever seen in my life. Um, I mean, oh, yeah. how, how do you make sense? How do you make it make sense to the people who don't want who don't want it to be deeper than little green men from Planet X. I mean, is there a way? Well, there isn't a way, because you said it right there. There's egos on the line, and uh, people are, like, you know, trying to save their rights so that they can get the attention. And um, there's really no, no, no element uh, of, of researchers being cohesive in exchange of information. You put researchers in a room and they will argue with each other right. as to who's right. And no one is right, really. But you have to remember also when you're talking about science and bring this up, that in the 1600s, the idea of rocks falling from down from the sky was considered a paranormal event. Right. So, I mean, you know, today with science, um, science does not learn from its mistakes in the past. And today, what people are viewing as paranormal events or, you know, could possibly be a science at the end of the 21st century. But with UFO investigators, I mean, let me put it this way. If you write a book about UFOs and it doesn't fit in the norm, that book is going to get viciously attacked. And you with it. Oh, oh definitely. I mean, yeah. you should hear some of the comments that, are, that I've gotten in email because of the interdimensional universe, because I go outside thinking of, of the box about the nuts and bolts thing, and I'm just primarily saying to people, you know, consider this. I mean, I've gotten emails calling me, you know, uh, a, a, a nutcase, all the way from being accused of putting information from the government just to confuse people and to go against the extraterrestrial thing. But, but come on, you know. I mean, you know... Um, we should exchange some of our emails. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, oh, you know, my God. Some of them, some yeah. of them are, 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 are... But they're all from people, you know, who say they're UFO investigators. Well, well, Anytime you, know you write a book on UFOs, you know, you, at a, any other subject, you're open to, I mean, extreme criticism. It seems like you almost like you're writing some type of radical theory in science that's being attacked by the scientists. The ufologists right. are guilty of the same thing. You know, John Keel, who was a good friend of mine, and uh, John and I, for many years, we got along, and, and he said to me one time, you know, um, uh, what are you hanging around with the UFO people for? They're, they're the lepers of the paranormal. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Yes. I mean, well, let me ask you this. I mean, you've, you've been in this game a long time. Uh, why do you think it is that ufologists or people who study this in any great depth and write books about it or speak about it in lecture halls or what have you, why do you think that, I mean, unlike I think most people who study any given subject, if you study a subject uh, – uh, such as, I don't know, why is grass green, and you write a paper on why you think grass is green, and then you figure out you're wrong, uh, and then you republish that paper and say, hey, I was wrong. Look what I found now. Now this is why I think uh, that grass is green. It, it, doesn't, it seems like you get points in science when you do that, but when you're a ufologist or you study this, any of this paranormal stuff, once you 
once you lay into a theory, you better damn sight stick with it or your ass is going to pay. Oh, so, I mean, why is this field like that? Why can't a ufologist say, I was wrong? I mean, Valet's re- you've, you've reassessed your views. Valet yes, has reassessed I've said, his you know, views. I was completely wrong about things. But, so is Heineck. So is Valet. Yeah. I mean, well, the thing is, is that, you know, you get criticized because, because ufology is not a science. Science will say, yes, you made a mistake. We build upon our mistakes to learn. But ufology is viewed upon most radical ufologists and most hardcore ufologists as more of a religion yeah. than a science, and that's why. And if you preach the gospel, and then one day you get on TV and say, folks, you've been sending me money, and I've been preaching the gospel a certain way, but I've been wrong about it now. You think people are still going to listen to you? Right. And some people accuse you of being in league with the devil. But in ufology, you get accused not of being in league with the devil. You get accused of being in league with the government. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like the priest coming out from Mass saying, well, we really tore that sermon apart this morning, didn't we? Um, I mean, I don't know. It it just seems like a really – it it doesn't seem like a field where you're going to get a lot done as a a group unless you kind of twaddle off by yourself and, and do your own work. And basically, come forward when you have something to say, and otherwise, keep your keep your mouth shut. I yeah, mean, you know, I usually keep a low profile now because um, the fact is, um, you know, it's 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 just a mess out there. But you know, you're right. Nothing is going to be done in the UFO field, and mainly because you have a number of individuals, you know, working and doing their own thing. And second of all, there's no core study being done. My opinion, and it almost happened a few years ago, I should say 20 years ago, my gosh, how time goes by, (laughs) I mean, that if you take, let's say, maybe 10 of, I don't want to say the top people in, in the field, but 10 individuals and say, okay, here's, $20, $30 million or whatever. You got five years to do a complete investigation, objective investigation of the UFO phenomena, and in five years, you will write a long paper or book or report on your findings. I think if that's done and you get the right talent together and the right instrumentation, that definitely it would come up with a conclusion. But you got all of these people working all over the place, finding and getting little pieces of the puzzle. And what's happening is that no one knows where to put that piece of the puzzle to see what the picture's like. And some people are actually bringing in their own pieces from another puzzle. And so we can never see what the picture is actually like because no one is working together on the puzzle. They're just coming in a different time and we don't even know who these other people are and they're just trying to make the picture with pieces that they found from wherever. But until, you know, you get a, a major study done like that, um, people are just going to go around in circles with their own egos, their own stories and what they want to believe. Do you, do you think the study of this is ultimately futile? Well, I think I, I, I said that in Interdimensional Universe and I said, you know, basically, boys and girls, um, I'm not writing about UFOs anymore because 
unless uh, really something else happens or, or I have contact with aliens <laughs> or, I mean, you know, or if I find the answer, I, there's nothing well I can report here. I mean, right. so, you know, um, you know, so I'm sort of back. This is one of the reasons why I'm branching out in other areas of the paranormal areas that have been untouched by UFO investigators, uncontaminated, and that hopefully, you know, you can bring that in and, at least open people's minds and say, um, we have to rethink this, everybody. Put your egos aside. Put your ideas that you think it is, and let's start rethinking this whole thing again. Here's the evidence that I've accumulated, and it's just saying that we have to rethink this entire thing. And not only for UFO investigators, but for the general public, too to rethink the UFO phenomena. And what's happening is that with other paranormal phenomena too, a lot of people are programmed into believing what these things represent because of all these horrible shows on TV. So when we're talking about ghosts, I mean, we often hear the, the ghost community talk about residual haunting and intelligent. Do you see any difference in those? You know, I really don't because um, um, I think for the most part what the ghost hunters are going after is probably they're identifying it as ghosts because like the ufologists who want to see spaceships, they want to see ghosts. They may be dealing with an interdimensional entity that um, is manifesting a certain way. And uh, I mean, you know, it, it, it could be possible that they these interdimensional beings like to play games. Their favorite game seems to be fool the human. Mm -hmm. Now, I have one particular case, for example, that also talks about this idea of um, relativity, whereas past, present, and future exist together. Um, for example, up in Putnam Valley, um, this is in um, my book, um, Isles from the Edge, um, a person called me up and told me they saw a ghost. And I said, okay. And I went out to see this person, talked to him, lived up in Kent Cliffs, New York. And he said, you know, on a cold February night, he, 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 um, he went out for a walk after dinner, and it was dark. It was about 8 o'clock in the evening. And the reservoir over there is frozen at that time, so it's frozen pretty solid. So many people walk across the reservoir during the day. So he decided to go on the ice at night. He starts walking across. In the distance, he looks and he says the air got really blurry. And then he sees a man walking towards him. And as the man got closer, he realized that the man had long hair, with black long hair with a pigtail. And he was dressed in you know, clothes from the 18th century as he got closer. And they stopped and looked at each other, and the man said to him, good day, sir. And he says, how you doing, buddy? And he looked at him like he's strange. And he said, um, and the man asked him, do you live around here? And he says, yeah, there's a the house over there. He says, and he asked the fellow, are you going to a costume party? And the fellow said, you know, that was dressed in the 18th century clothes, no, sir, he said, you are dressed like you're going to a costume party. Hmm. So and he said, and he noticed that the individual wasn't wearing a coat. He was in a short sleeve kind of shirt. 
and um, he was dressed very lightly for that cold winter evening, which was about eight degrees. And he says, hey, buddy, aren't you cold? And he goes, what do you mean, sir? It's July, and the sun is out. <laughs> and he said, well, I thought you were cold walking across the ice. And he said, sir, this is not ice. This is a field. And then the individual who was dressed in the 18th century clothes starts, you know, looking at this uh, 20th, 21st century individual like he's some kind of lunatic and runs away from him and disappears in the darkness. Now, this person was convinced that he saw a ghost, but if you do some research in the area, you find out that that reservoir during colonial days, during the 1700s, the late 1700s, was actually a field. And this person was convinced he saw a ghost. However, I bet you that the other person in the 18th century close thought he was a ghost or some type of demonic manifestation. Sure. The thing is, is that people who are seeing ghosts, it's very possible that they may be seeing or it may be times, these rare occasions where the past and our present and sometimes even the future merge together in this, you know, four-dimensional space-time continuum around us. So, you know, when we think about this new idea in theoretical physics, we may also have to evaluate the idea of, you know, hauntings and manifestations yeah. of ghosts. Yeah, and that, that we could be, uh, I guess, effectively, I mean, I, I always go back to, and I know this is probably a poor example, judging by what people think of these guys lately, but uh, a really old episode of Ghost Hunters had them in a hotel when they walked into a room that was previously occupied in the 1800s, I guess, or early 1900s by a European princess of some sort. They said, are you, are you here, princess? And when they played it back, they could hear her saying, of course I am. Where are you? <laughs> and I said, this is not a ghost. You know, she is probably sitting at her dressing cable combing her hair and hears voices uh, in her room. Where exactly. Are you? Yes. Yeah, and and yeah. she seemed genuinely perplexed as to why she couldn't see them, um, and, and and you know where were these voices coming from? You could just hear it in the voice. I mean, it was the clearest recording I'd ever heard, and um, and I mean to fake something like that is almost. Um, I mean, how far are you going to go uh, to fake something like that? It's just it. Uh, I don't know. It was a little too it. it to kind of coin an old phrase, you know, it's, it's a little too stupid to make up to have something like that just, just spontaneously happen. So I, I don't disagree with you that I think a lot of the ghost stuff is probably uh, across time, uh, you know, splitting uh, of perception to seeing in, into the past or seeing to the future uh, and vice versa. But do you then think that that has anything to do with the geological area or does that have more to do with the person? Uh you know, that's a good question, and I don't really know, but I think um, it may be a combination of a number of things. I think the geology in the area does have a great deal to do with it. Mm-hmm. I think by manipulating magnetic fields that we can actually uh, uh, cause portals to open or, or, uh, or cause manifestations to take place. You have to remember, even if a portal opens up the size of an atom, Uh, communication can still be established between the two realities. And this may be happening, especially when we're dealing with some things like EVP. 
mm-hmm. not the fake EVP, but some of the stuff that I've heard and been part of. Um, I mean, I had to sit down and evaluate and 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 um, analyze all of these signals to finally figure out what's going on here. Mm-hmm. And um, and and with EVP with these ghost hunters, I mean, you know, nothing cracks me up more than driving by a cemetery and having people going out with these little digital recorders and yelling, does anybody want to talk to us? Right, right. I mean, but the thing is, is that UFO investigators have been getting EVP on their cassette recorders long before ghost hunters ever perceived the idea. Hmm. Um, uh, I don't know if you know, but, you know, UFO research, and, and they never talked about it like out in public. Back in the old days, you know, back in the early 80s and the 70s, yeah, we would get these this stuff on the recorders. But it was such high strangeness stuff that it yeah. wasn't discussed. It yeah. was like, yeah, you know, where did it come from? I don't know. You know, what's the voice saying? I don't know. You know, um, but it was never, it was like, you know, it was like, blasphemy in the UFO circles, you know? You're not supposed to get that stuff. These are aliens, intelligent beings. What are they playing games like this for? Right. So so would you say ufology's largely done it to itself then, hasn't it? I mean, over the course of its history, it's it's largely painted itself into a corner with the ETH and and, and all of these other nuts and bolts. uh, Oh, not only painted themselves in the corner, but they build a brick house around themselves. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They can't see beyond it. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, Jer. Uh, yeah, I just, well, I have a few questions, I guess. The, the first one is, um, every now and then we get emails saying, you've got to talk about uh, gin, and I noticed that in your book, uh, Files from the Edge, you do talk about the gin. So tell us what the gin are and how that might relate to ufology. Yeah, well, the gin are a very complex subject, and uh, yes, I do mention it in Interdimensional Universe for the first time, I think, in Western ufology. Interdimensional Universe is a UFO book. Files from the Edge, the gin are mentioned also. But um, I have, uh, Files from the Edge is out now. I have a book coming out in December called Ultraterrestrial Contacts. And then I have another book coming out in January called Jin, The Hidden Ones. Oh, well, there you go. Now. We'll have you back. (laughs) Yeah, I've been a very busy boy. You know, people used to crack up and say, yeah, Phil, you know, produces a book every five years. Now, you know, I produced uh, in last year, in the last two years, I'm producing like four of them. Anyway, the Jin, you know... People in the Western Hemisphere don't know about the concept of the jinn. The jinn are called, the word jinn is Islamic. It means the hidden ones, those who are hidden, those who are concealed. And it's not because they're trying to conceal themselves from them. It's because they exist in a space that we can't see. And it talks about the interaction of this race of beings that has existed before the human race and that used to manifest into this world. Now, if you go back into some of the early Islamic literature, the Muslim literature, and also in in some of the stories of Solomon, the jinn are mentioned quite frequently also in the Quran 
the jinn are mentioned quite frequently, like, you know, it's another group of people. The jinn are called by the people in Islam, God's other people. And the story says that when Allah, first he made the angels out of light, he made man from the mud and the clay, which means physical, and he made the jinn out of smokeless fire. To me, smokeless fire represents a plasma. You think how logical that is. You have energy, which is light, photonic energy. And then you have the physical universe made of atoms and protons and quarks and so on. And then you have something in between matter and energy, plasma. And the jinn are always shown as smoke, fire, glowing, smokeless fire sometimes, being able to take on physical shape, being able to take not physical shape, appearing in different forms. So if you start applying the idea of this ancient idea of jinn, it makes a lot of sense in the paranormal world that perhaps in some of these cases, this is what we're dealing with. There are many classifications of jinn. Some of them are like tricksters. Some of them are very deadly, demonic. And according to Islam, for example, there are no fallen angels. The angels were made of light. They're all pure. The actual troublemakers, the demons, so to speak, the devils, are actually bad jinn. And their concept of Satan is not a fallen angel like in Christianity. It was a fallen jinn, a powerful jinn by the name of Iblis. And if you compare the Islamic version of that fall and the creation of evil and with the Christian version, they're almost identical, except the Islamic version identifies the devil as a jinn, while Christianity identifies an angel, I mean the devil, as a fallen angel. Now, you know, I've been bouncing around the idea of the jinn in my head for a very, very long time, and um, um, and and the book that's coming out on the jinn is just not, you know, it's not a, a, a researched project which I did from my computer or my armchair. In 1995, I spent quite a bit of time in the Middle East. And I was actually doing something else, and I kept on hearing stories of the jinn. And I got very interested in it, which led me from being in Israel um, into Saudi Arabia, into Oman, and even into parts of Syria. And during that time, I collected quite a bit of information, and uh, and back then, back in the ninety, back in nineteen ninety six, nineteen ninety seven, I saw the connection between the possibility of the existence of the jinn and paranormal phenomena. But I really didn't say too much about it because Westerners, when they think of jinn, they don't know what it is. You have to say genie, and all of a sudden, Barbara Eden comes into their mind. Or, or the uh, character played by Robin Williams in Aladdin's Lamp uh, comes to mind, and people start laughing. 
but the jinn are taken very seriously in the Middle East, and there's something that they do not take lightly. To them, like many hardcore Christians believe in demons and so on, the jinn are very real to them. As a matter of fact, you know, it's a possibility that whatever we call demonic or entities like that could be jinn. And we can't think of them in the religious sense, like they do in Islam or demons in Christianity. We may be dealing with an intelligent race of beings that exist in a dimension that's close to us, that has existed before the human race. And they may have been interacting with the human race in various stages from time to time since recorded history. And it seems cyclic in nature, whereas sometimes they're able to come into our world more readily than other times. This might explain, for example, that if you look through history, you will see areas, small passages of time, where humans are reporting manifestations of all different types and then it disappears. We may be seeing that again with the increase in paranormal phenomena. The bridge between these dimensions may take place every thousand years, or who knows, but it seems that this could be happening again, and maybe in the next 25 years or after another 25 years, the idea of all of these beings that we thought were part of our mythology or our nightmares could be part of our reality again. Obviously, a lot of things are increasing to that nature. But Jin is a fact that's a fascinating subject. They have a very complex society. It's not just a bunch of random ideas. It's a, it, it's an incredible topic to um, to study, and I believe that. Um, there are many, many researchers who, especially in the paranormal, are going to pick up on the idea of jinn and um, start utilizing more, and it's going to be a popular subject in the Western Hemisphere now. Well, I definitely look forward to having you back on when that book comes out. Yeah. Um, I guess maybe I'll try to ask one more question here. <laughs> Let's see how broad I can go with this. Um now, with all of your travels, I also know that you've studied under the tutelage of a Native American, is it Medicine Man? Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and we've done some episodes on indigenous cultures from the Lakota to the Kogi. And on the one hand, you have someone like a Teokas and Ghost Horse of the Lakota um, who speaks from the heart and speaks so eloquently and has a lot of just uh, amazing sort of transcendental things to say. And then on the other hand, you know, in the back of my head, of course, I've, I've always got like the history channel white guy telling me, uh, you know, this is all superstition. Um, you know, these were cultures that we evolved out of, you know, that sort of thing. What exactly is it that science has conquered in terms of superstition? I mean, would you say that, that for instance, some of the things that these indigenous cultures speak to, are real, the type of real interdimensional, you know, things that we're talking about here, but that the remedies or the the ways of dealing with them might be wrong or superstitious or something? Or do you think that all of that needs to be reevaluated and and just take off our Western goggles and accept them as they are on their own terms? 
I think we have to um, look at this and we have to uh, we have to reevaluate it first of all for example in the in the uh, in the early 1800s doctors uh, from the United States the small United States at that time they wanted a more communication with Native American medicine men they wanted to have more of a relationship. They wanted to, you know, find out if there were natural herbs or plants or something that could have medicinal purposes um, and that they could utilize, you know, for infection and things like that. So in a meeting, um, these, you know, doctors, and some of them were military doctors, the medicine man pulls out a pouch, and he says, we use this also for healing. And he pulls out these strange-looking stones. And the doctors look at it and say, yeah, they're strange. I mean, where did you get them? He says, says, they're star stones. They fell from the sky, from the stars. And the doctors laughed at the medicine man, and they assured him that stones cannot fall from the stars. Well, later on, into the 20th century, um, a lot of these uh, so-called medicine stones, star stones, were gathered up and analyzed, and guess what? They were iron meteorites, iron-based meteorites, siderites, some of them very rare. So, I mean, you know, this is one example right there. Mm -hmm. Well, when you would talk to uh, your... I don't know, what would he be called, a mentor, a friend? What what was he to you? Uh, I'm not exactly sure. I, you know, his friend, a teacher. Um, I wish I could have spent more time with him, but, you know, I was more or less trying to find information about the stone chambers rather than to learn Native American medicine um, and, you know, the, the beliefs in magic. But um, Well, when you uh, talked to him about interdimensional stuff, did he? what was his take on that? Well, he believed that there were areas that connected another world. And he told me of a number of locations in New York. And and, they, and the entrances were guarded by Trickster, who can actually take on many different shapes to mislead people from finding out the truth as to where the entrance is. And if you look into some of the phenomena that has taken place in some of those areas, um, it could be that, you know, the trickster is still, you know, working there. I mean, the gin, the trickster, almost sound like um, sometimes this, the same type of uh, entity. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then that gets into, geez, or, you know, if they're trying to keep us from finding it, is that devious or is that for our benefit? No, you know, the word gin, trickster, you know, they try to stay hidden. The trickster, according to Native American, would take on many different shapes like animals and other types of creatures, constantly misleading the medicine man and the people away from his true nature. And according to the Native, he's not, he's not evil and he's not good. He does it because of survival. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we were talking earlier about the UFO phenomena and a lot about the paranormal phenomena, how it seems like misleading sometimes. You know, perhaps these, um, whatever these beings are, tricksters, jinn, you know, uh, ultra-terrestrials, whatever you want to call them, 
maybe they don't want us to know their true nature, so they manifest in many different ways to mislead us, like Charlie used to say about the trickster. Because according to him, what he believed is that, you know, all of this UFO stuff is nothing but the manifestations of the trickster. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'm trying to get a handle on just even still the star nations. Uh, you know, how literally do Native Americans take saying we come from star nations? Um, since nothing else seems to be as straightforward to them, uh, I can't imagine that they really believe that aliens, you know, came down and they're from from another world in a nuts and bolts ETH sort of way. Do you have any insight into that? Not really. Uh, from what I've heard is that, um, uh, from the information I picked up, is that uh, they were they 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 believe in spirits. They're they're manifestations of different types of spirits. And that human beings are the Native Americans, you know, the Indians. They are the human beings, but everything outside of that is, you know, uh, from a spirit world. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the idea of ETs and stuff like that was it's not in their concept. But they do believe in uh, greatly in, in in an idea of another world, another dimension, another world that's close to us, where a lot of these entities and and spirits and and forces do live that do interact with our world and some selected people. We don't know the magician. We're not quite sure what the trick is, but you've been studying the uh, the sleight of hand for quite some time. Uh, what does it mean to you at this point? Well, what it means to me is that unless the magician comes down and shows me what the trick, how the trick is done, never going to find out. Um, we're three-dimensional beings trying to understand, you know, an 11-dimensional universe. And um, it's like, you know, it's like living inside the inside of a pipe and never getting to see the outside and try to figure out what the outside is like. I mean, it just can't be done. Mm-hmm. Well, do you think that that's on purpose? I mean, do you think that there is uh, a learning experience going on here um on purpose from their end, or do you think that any sort of learning experience we garner is uh, just uh, incidental? You know, Native American Medicine Council says one thing about that, talk about the knowledge and the wisdom of Native Americans, is that we are limited, human beings are limited in what they can see and what they can perceive for their own protection. So maybe we're just, that means that we have to, as human beings, must learn more about the true nature of the universe so that we can conquer our own fears and really understand it and become part of it. But right now, human beings on this planet, when they encounter something that takes them out of their secure reality, many people become fearful. Mm -hmm. And that's dangerous when human beings become very fearful. So perhaps it's done for our own protection. Perhaps it's done for some malicious purpose. I don't know. Very good. Well, Phil, once again, thank you for coming on the show and uh, You're welcome. giving us the goods. And um, our mutual friend Harold Egelm said that you had made the offer to once again go out to the Stone Chambers and uh, will we be going to Hawk Rock this time? Yes, you know... Uh... Hawk Rock is another story there, and there's a lot going on out there. And, you know, I had a group out there spend the night out there, and we've had some experiences there, which are truly remarkable. Um, Well, huh. I wonder, is there something 
how many people are you willing to take out there if we had a couple of listeners come along? Would that be doable, or is that too much? Um, no, no, it's doable. I mean, you know, you know awesome. me. I'm I'm pretty open to just about anything. It's a little bit of a walk, so whoever you know comes out has to be in some pretty. It has to be in at least moderate physical condition. I mean, we. Yeah, I <laughs> Excluding mean, me, we're out. <laughs> I mean, you know, you have to be able to walk at least a couple of miles in the woods. I mean, right, cool. That I can do. <laughs> all right. Well, there you go, listeners. Uh, first come, first serve. Um, all right. Well, Phil, thank you very much once again. Yes. Thank you very You're much. Welcome. Uh, it's it was always, a pleasure. yeah, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. It's always informative to talk to you, and it always gives me uh, hope that there is at least an good researcher left. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, you know, I try to keep my wits about me, but who knows? You know, depends <laughs> about who you talk to. Um, the devil to some people, and you know, an angel to others. You know. <laughs> yes. Do you have a website uh, that you want people to go to? No, I don't have a website. You know, people can. Contact me at bell1313 at yahoo.com, B-E-L, if they want to write to me. But I don't have a website. Everybody's trying to say, Phil, you got to get a website. you got to get a website. Yeah, right. You know, I try to avoid attention sometimes. I'm going to put myself all over the Internet more than, than there already. Well, yeah, I mean, if you've got three books coming out in a year's time, I think you're doing okay without a website. Yeah, yeah I think I'm happy the way I am. Very good. All right, man. Take care. Okay, bye. Uh, this is Colin Andrews, and you're listening to Paratopia. sure to check us out on the Black Fridays podcast where we explore the esoteric one conversation at a time. You can check us out at www.theblackfridays.net. It's a little bit freaky. And we will see you there. So the Jeffrey. So the Jer. How are you? I'm good. And you? I'm doing well. That was a fascinating interview. It was one indeed. Philip Brockman. Yes, very good. He's always fascinating. That's why I, like I enjoyed that immensely. Philip Brockman. Um, yeah, you know, the one thing I didn't really uh, pick up on in a way that was useful would be his explanation of gravity going through possibly other dimensions before it hits the Earth, and that's why it's a weaker force than it should be. So, if you were, if that's true, if there are these other dimensions that a force is going in and out of, then does that mean that we are bonded to those other dimensions by said force? And does that explain the going in and out of reality so quickly of things like UFOs and ghosts and that sort of thing? Is it like, do they appear to us sort of as a shimmering because they're 
weaving in and out of dimensions to our eye. To their eye, it's just business as usual. I'm sorry, how's that? (laughs) (laughs) There's no answer to that question. (laughs) What do I know? Do I look like a physicist to you? Go ahead, ask the question again. Three, two, one. You can just say, good question. A one? Really, what parts did you like? Let's talk about the parts you liked. I enjoyed that part about gravity coming from the sun. (laughs) (laughs) Is that right? Because that's the part I like, too. I'm glad you mentioned that. Because uh, I thought it was uh, maybe applicable to this whole paranormal thing. If he's got a force that's weaving in and out of dimensions before it hits the Earth, and that's what makes it a weaker force than it should be, Mm -hmm. um, then what else can weave in and out of those dimensions? A lot of dimensions going on there. A lot of dimensions. A lot of the word dimension in what I just said. Good question, but... I feel you don't believe that it's a good question. Uh, no. <laughs> I, uh, I, there's a lot of supposition in there. I don't, I don't exactly know what, you know, how do you define dimension, first of all. Well, if you've uh, got 11 dimensions, I mean, it's going by the string theory thing, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's all weaving through that string thing. So if you're yeah. weaving through the string thing then it, it's like a flickering light or it's like, it would be like Mirage. Mirage or like a movie where you're seeing the frames, you yeah. know, and it's missing not some frames. Movie. Exactly. And yeah. they're seeing the movie. Right. Maybe something yeah. like that. I mean, it's possible. It makes sense. I mean, it, it makes sense make- out of like your old condo where you would just see like an arm floating by or in right. oblong shape moving on the floor. Well, I think, I think what, uh, I mean, and I've seen this myself, uh, as well as heard it from other people, that, that more often than not, when they see some sort of, either it's an apparition or, or some kind of form moving around their general environment, that uh, the, the light in the room does not reconcile itself to the light on the object that they're observing. In other words, that light looks like it's it, the, the object or whatever they're seeing seems to be lit from a completely different light source than what should be normal for the room or normal for the environment, which I think is interesting in that respect of, uh, uh, of what you just mentioned with the physics of the dimensions and all that. So, I, I, they, I mean, all really good questions. I, there's no answers, I don't think, there yet that we can get our heads around, but it's an interesting thought. I really like that Phil is a guy who's got the the science background he's got the native american medicine man conversations um I'm he's sure a very he's eclectic guy yeah and whatever he was doing in the middle east <laughs> spying, right. spying for the u.s no doubt right, I, I don't right. Know what he was doing in the middle east but uh, i mean just all of that real world um experience and conversations right. that surely he's had with all sorts of people um right to inform his opinions about things yeah. Uh, I, th- I can't think of a more well-rounded researcher, actually, off the top well, of my head. Well, he's, he's, uh, he's not an armchair guy. I mean, he actually gets out there and, and does something. So, uh, And the more I see, the more I think that that's a rarity <laughs> anymore. Than, and than completely that. willing to take to give tours for free of these stone chambers and of these Native American sites. Uh, I mean, just incredible. The man loves to teach. Yeah, yeah. And that's it. You know, I, God, I wish, yeah. why aren't more people like that? I don't, I don't get it. I'm back uh, to my innocent childish questions, my, my naivete about humanity. It's like, why are people <laughs> in this for ego when 
when you're considered the fringe. There's no, there's nothing <laughs> there's nothing here for your ego. Right. There's nothing that <laughs> will no- do you good. <laughs> you gotta play that big shot stuff. You play it all the way, right? I mean, I don't know. I mean, there there's a guy that I could talk to for hours about just the way ufology seems to work and the way people in it seem to interact with each other. I mean, I had written you a rather lengthy email of, I don't know, just a ramble on, um, on ufology, on the way it reacts to new ideas or to even in some cases reconstituted ideas, which I think is mostly what I, you know, have, have, ridden on for a while that uh i mean i don't think i've i've said anything all that new to this stuff i think that uh most of what i find out that uh, that i think is uh is interesting comes from uh the jacques fillet direction you know that sort of Mm -hmm. uh, or even george hansen i mean i god i quote him more than enough but uh, i mean there's another guy that i think has got such a great handle on the finer details that I think need to be examined a lot closer. And we're hearing his name than, pop than they up are. more and more. So absolutely, he's definitely getting yeah. out there. And I just want to say the email that you're talking about that you wrote. I mean, this is something that you might uh, be posting on the forum soon. Uh, and oh, you I sent will it be to absolutely. me, and I just thought it was really weird how a lot of the language you use in that email is exactly what uh, Phil used. <laughs> I mean, it was like yeah. the, some of the same topics that we're talking about, and some of the exact same language. It was almost like. You wrote that in well, sort of psychically knowing what this conversation <laughs> was going to be. It was weird. Well, I, I mean, I just want to, I just want to read this, uh, this one part, you know, where, and it's in the very beginning. It has no bearing on the overall, uh, just of this, of this, uh, of this article. I, I, I said, any time that a dissenting viewer or a major altercation of views on certain facets of the UFO study comes up, it's an in- inheritable fact that there will be detractors from the other side. And when I approached you with the notion of doing this show, it was not just to become another paranormal talk show, but one that might have a positive impact on the study and point out new directions and aspects long dismissed and ignored by even the staunchest UFO-related personalities. Um, Ultimately, we're at a crossroads in the study of the UFO subject. The long-held views by what's been called the old guard are being questioned as never before, and new ideas are being introduced. As well, some aspects... And the common methodologies of study are being questioned and debated as to their veracity and legitimacy. And you know that that's, that that's absolutely the truth. I mean, Phil, it uh, is much said today that when you, whenever you come out with something that goes against the grain of what the, I guess the, uh, could we call it a, a cabal of ufology? Can we, can we title it that? I don't know. Sure. But, um, you know, there does seem to be this... Um, I don't know this gentleman's club of uh, of ufology that to go against that grain of what they're putting out is uh, is to be considered a heretic in this field and uh, I, I still I still that still amazes me I can't figure out why in a field like this where anything and everything is is largely possible why so many people would just turn on somebody for either proposing something new or questioning what is allegedly established. Well, this is what I, I, where I think it gets into, all right, we've, we've got this uphill battle of presenting this to the public in a way that they won't mock. Right. So the only way to really do that is to have our story and stick to it. 
And if you're going to deviate from that story, then crap. We don't have a story that they can't laugh at. Right. I think it's that simple, you know? Well, and I think it also, it not only, <laughs> I think it not only comes from that direction, but I think it comes from, I think there are very few people in ufology that have done things that they, I'm talking about serious people. I'm talking about people that you would have a certain amount of respect for. I think there are a few of them that feel what they are doing is not right. I, f- I feel like the majority of guys who are in this, who you know are serious about it, feel like what they're doing, they feel like it is the right thing to do. Whether it is or not is a completely different matter. But then those people latch onto a theory or a line of thought in studying this and are afraid to then expand on it in the direction that it should be expanded upon. And therefore, it becomes this stagnated. I mean, I, as much as I have respect for Stanton Freeman, I, I think of someone who, who I feel like is, is, is a stagnant entity in ufology. I feel like he really has been on the same thing for years, you know. And, and I think he, he, he possibly could have, you know, with the, the, the tenacious guy that he is, I think he could have gone in different directions with this and had a lot more to say about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I feel like. Somebody like him is probably, again, married so closely to the theory that he's proposed for so many years that it would be nigh impossible for him to turn that around at this point in his career. And I think that that's what we encounter with uh, a lot of people in this. They, they, They get married to a theory and then they cannot back out of it because to back out of it, like Phil says, is to go against the religion that that ufology has built itself into. Yeah, it's just weird to me how the things that have been deemed acceptable, I mean, it makes sense to me that the ETH would be deemed acceptable because that's the first theory to come along that that would make sense to people, you know, way back when. But then the the disclosure thing, that whole angle, uh, doesn't make sense to me. I mean, it doesn't even make sense to me even if they were right. Like, by its own rules of logic, it doesn't make sense to me that the big bad evil government is going to disclose anything to us um, because they are the big, bad, evil government. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I don't understand why that has is considered credible in in its own vast circles around the globe, you know? I mean, certainly right. characters in it are buffoons. Probably all of them are buffoons, but certain ones stand out. <laughs> but, um, but the movement in general is sort of right. taken as a real valid movement in many cases. Yeah, well, it's certainly gotten a lot of attention, I mean, if nothing else. Uh, but, probably, I mean, it, it goes again. It goes with, <laughs> here's an answer that you can understand. Here's a concrete answer that you can understand. Right. Uh, I also think if if it does end up being some interdimensional thing that needs us to perceive it, that once again gets back to, well, gee, maybe the big bad government ain't so big and bad after all. Maybe whoever knows about it knows that we need to not focus on it for reality to remain the way it is. And they're just not willing to take the chance on destroying all that we have created um, for the sake of this interaction. I mean, that's a possibility, you know? Yeah. uh, I don't know. I, I think Phil is right when you say um, that this field won't turn around largely due to ego and celebrity that celebrity status that some of them get. I mean, and no matter how small that celebrity status may be in the overall big picture, like he said, some people that you see on the History Channel 
would be complete unknowns were it not for this. And he's right. That's exactly right. So I think people are trying to protect their celebrity status. And, and Well, you know what? And to that end, you know, look at what TV – I mean the, the TV producers demand that you say certain things to be on TV. Um, and that's just a fact. Uh, you know, when when the History Channel approached me to be on their 2012 special – I mean, I told them what I would talk about and what I wouldn't talk about. And, of course, they wanted me to talk about the things that I had no interest in uh, because that <laughs> right. was sort of the angle they were going with. Now, of course, that those those sorts of angles are always the most spectacular and the easiest to say in a soundbite. And right. the truth is always uh, more complicated or, you know, sort of the possibilities of truth, I guess I should say, in that yeah. in terms of 2012 um, are always more complicated. But, I mean, to me, they're more fascinating but then again, to flesh them out would take probably an episode, and that's not what they're trying to do. They're trying to get in a whole bunch of doomsday scenarios all at once, and so it is with UFOs. We need to get in as much, cram in as much information in this direction, that direction, the other direction to keep someone's attention um, and ultimately learn nothing. And ultimately, at the end of, of all of these things, what do they say? Well, we'll never know. You know, We don't know what the answer is, but you know, tune in it's, next week. It's- yeah, well, it's it's preaching to the lowest common denominator again. I mean, so there is. So doesn't that you know, inform research? I mean, does it, what don't you then have to tailor your research to a market, and that market is dictated by these producers? Well, yeah, in some ways, the media and the outlet that you're going to use is is going to dictate how you can present it. Sure, sure. But I think you know you also look at you know if you were if you were just getting into this today and your goal was to be a media uh, personality. In this field, I mean, if that was your goal to get on the History Channel and to do all these things, and let me tell you something, folks, it's not hard to get on the History Channel. <laughs> not not in this subject, anyway. I mean, they called my dumbass for uh, O'Hare, and 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 it, like Jeremy wanted me to say that the uh, the photograph I was examining was an unknown, and what was unknown about it was, yeah, the object was an unknown, but there was also a bigger story there, which was someone had tampered with it. Not not the not the object itself, but some part of the picture had been tampered with. That's a bigger story than the picture is. So yeah, I, I completely sympathize with that. But if you were going to go into this with that kind of mentality that you're going to become known within this field to be a media personality, then ultimately what they would tell you, yes, would dictate what you say on the air. But it was all, based on how successful that program was, you would also tailor everything else that you would ever put out on the subject to that kind of mentality because that's what you think people want. You know, I mean, unfortunately, I mean, we've talked about this before. Like, why couldn't we put together a paranormal show that is more in-depth than the average? And we both decided it probably won't work because <laughs> that's not what people want. Well, it's not what producers Ultimately, want. I mean, people want a, a, uh, a reader's dog. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a reader's digest version. I don't think people get about TV because they always want to say that these, uh, at least in this field, generally want to say producers, Hollywood is influenced by the government and blah, blah, blah. Because, of course, yesteryear uh-huh. that was true. You know, uh-huh. uh, hey, go do this sci fi movie and make it about communism subliminally or whatever. Uh, but nowadays, I mean, it really is like, what will that channel except as a format that's one you know you have to edit to the uh to the the stylings of the channel mm-hmm. 
And so that is first and secondary to that is anything you're going to learn in the show. So if they want, you know, a, a quickly edited fast paced, you know, like a UFO hunters where it's so quickly paced that you can't even see what the hell you're looking at. Right. You know, what are you going to do? You're, you're stuck doing that. And, you know, I remember people saying like, well, Bill Burns, isn't he a producer on that show? Doesn't he have the say, but that's not the kind of producer he is. The people who have the say aren't Bill Burns and Nancy Burns. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and so you have to conform. You have to conform to the channel standards. You have to, and then you have to also remember that most of these producers, they don't care about these subjects. Right. This isn't about depth and caring about anything. This is about <laughs> advertisement revenue. Revenue, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. And and you know, I was recently on Erie Radio, and they were talking about are we reaching the end of the line with these paranormal shows? And I said, unfortunately, I don't think we are. <laughs> I think as long as people are willing to, to, to watch this stuff, I, and, and it is of interest to a lot of people, and I give it credit for bringing it so far into the public eye as it has, but the question is, what kind of eye has it been given it? <laughs> you know, how, how well are people informed by watching these shows? They, they go out with some unrealistic expectation of what to expect, in, in an investigation of capacity, I mean, you're really not getting a very good picture watching it on TV. So all of that's kind of, that's just a big mess. I mean, all of it's a big mess. Uh, I, I certainly don't say that, that media dictates all of how this field works, but it, certainly attention of the public in one way or another, whether it be a lecture hall or a book or a TV show, all of that's going to dictate what your next book is going to be about. I think there's few people like Phil and Brogno around who say, I don't care about ufology anymore. <laughs> you know, for as long as he's been in it, I don't, he's like, I'm done. You know, there's not any answers that are going to come from there. Um, and I think that's what we said at the very beginning of this show was um, before episode one, I think, even came out. You know, there's not going to be any an- answers coming out of ufology. It's going to have to come from bringing non paranormal you know, guests on this show, people of multi, multiple disciplines to talk about this in different ways mm-hmm. or at least entertain it. And, um, and we, I think we've done that pretty well so far. So anyway, Jeremy, I was, uh, I was looking through my Gmail account this week and I noticed that I had a, I have Google alerts for UFO and that particular morning, uh, the Seattle times local news. And this is for March 27th, 2010. Published at 10 p.m. CIA concludes study of UFOs futile. How's that? It's a 17-page report available on the CIA's website. Acknowledges the futility of investigating UFOs by the government agency. That might be interesting to mention, eh? Yeah, what does futility mean? Essentially, what the report says is, you know, it says, quote, like the JFK assassination conspiracy theories, the UFO issue will probably not go away soon, no matter what the agency does or says. The belief that we are not alone in the universe is too emotionally appealing, and the distrust of our government is too pervasive to make the issue amenable to traditional scientific studies or rational explanation of evidence. So, basically, they're saying, why would we study this? It's futile, because who'd believe us anyway? Uh, well, what who, about the, who would trust the findings? <laughs> yeah, well, they have a point there, but someone's yeah. got to study it at least from the NARCAP point of view. Of this is, uh, you know, this could 
be a national security interest? What if we mistake them for terrorists or something? Well, I am uh, – I'm still reading it actually. I mean we've got – it was published in 2007 by Gerald K. Haynes who is the historian for the National Reconnaissance Office. Um, and this is just being published now? Uh, apparently it just came out. Uh, this, like I said, this news story is from this, the, uh, blah, 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 I'm sorry, the 27th of March, originally published on Saturday. So it must be relatively new at least. So it, it says in this, and once again, this is from the Seattle Times. Uh, it says that in the 17 pages, Haynes put together what reads as an objective, a thorough history of the CIA and UFOs. Not that anything the CIA says, well-researched as it may be by a historian, will change many minds. As Haynes says in his report, an extraordinary 95% of all Americans have heard of UFOs and 57% believe they are real. Uh, but apparently their idea was it's worthless to study this because anything that we would find out, the public wouldn't believe anyway, coming from us. But you could say that about anything with the CIA. <laughs> yeah, I know. Not really. I know. It doesn't stop them from releasing reports. <laughs> no, certainly not. Or a study. I mean, I'd love to see the study. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to be uh, reading that. Maybe we'll talk about that next episode. Very nice. And finally, will you be coming with us to Hawk Rock? Yeah. Yeah, I'll go. Sure. Um, should we do something for the, 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 the listeners? How about this? How about... Everyone who comes to the message board, www.paratopia.net, message board link will be on your right-hand side. Come there, register, post in this show thread. We will take all of those names, put them in a hat, and you know, if you just put it in the post. I would like to be included in the drawing, because I don't think people from Oregon will be joining us, um, uh, or the Swiss Alps, or Japan. Uh, although, if you'd like to, we have no problem that. We'll, we'll, we'll draw, uh, what, two names out of the hat, and uh, those people can come along. Sure. That sounds It'll good. It'll be fun. Just remember that you have to be able to trek through two miles of woods. Well, uh, I may be taking a four-wheeler. <laughs> <laughs> if I can uh, do it, you can do it. I'm not talking about uh, the, uh, the the physical stamina needed to get there. I'm talking about the need to get out if something weird happens. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one last thing. We were going to do a, a sort of an Emma Woods wrap-up this week, but we've decided to move it to next week because Bud Hopkins and David Jacobs are actually going to be appearing on another show to do uh, a hypnosis uh, roundtable. Right. A roundtable on whether hypnosis is a, a valid, useful tool. So that ought to be, well, something that we've already dealt with several episodes ago. But nevertheless, <laughs> right. this will be David right. Jacobs finally speaking since the Emma Woods debacle here. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure we're going to have lots to say about it. So we figure we'll get all that in next week um, along with our own strange experiences and whatever the hell else we end up talking about. I don't know if it's going to be strange experiences, but it's certainly going to be a little bit about the state of ufology. Um, well, no, I've got the strange experience I had over at your place that I teased that I would talk about this week, oh. but I didn't. Why don't you talk about it now? Well, because we're like, this show is like three hours long. <laughs> really? God, the time just, it's just, the time just flew. 
<laughs> it does. It flies when I'm with you. I really enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed this show a lot. And thanks to Phil and Brogno again for coming on and talking with us about his new book and teasing his other new book. <laughs> Several looking, new books. I'm looking forward to that one too. Yes, the new book, which I will be reviewing uh, for UFO Magazine, I do believe, if the publisher sends me the copy, uh, is Files from the Edge, a paranormal investigator's exploration into high strangeness. Sounds good. Phil and Brogner's our kind of guy. Highly strange? Uh, no, pretty much uh, talks about all of it and doesn't care where the chips fall. I this like is that. what it looks like when a down-to-earth man talks about high strangeness from the sky. Right. Huh? What? Nothing. <laughs>